Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans? And that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world. How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. What to expect at the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla. The coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla will take place on the 6th of May, 2023. The palace has announced that it will reflect the monarch's role today and look towards the future, while being rooted in long-standing tradition and pageantry. The components of the coronation ceremony, recognition and oath, anointing, investing of regalia, crowning, enthronement, and homage have been included since King Edgar was crowned in 973. And since 1066, all but three coronations have taken place in Westminster Abbey and been performed by the Archbishop of Canterbury. But over the thousand years since, everything from the wording and prayers to the guest list and what they wore has altered with each new monarch. I'll use the last two coronations of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth in 1937 and of Queen Elizabeth II in 1953 as a guide and look a bit into palace announcements and media speculation to guide you through what we are likely to see at the coronation of Charles and Camilla, what it all symbolizes and historic background. When is the coronation? Charles and Camilla will be crowned on Saturday the 6th of May 2023, eight months after his mother, Queen Elizabeth, died and Charles became king. In the Middle Ages, when a monarch died, their heir was not considered to be the new monarch until the crown was placed on their head. For this reason, coronations were usually held as soon as possible after the death of the previous monarch. But when Henry III died in 1272, his son Edward I was away on crusade, so he was proclaimed king in Sicily upon learning of his father's death. He didn't make it back to England to be crowned for another two years. From then on, the coronation remained an important ritual, but a new monarch's reign begins the moment their predecessor dies, so there is an unbroken chain of monarchy. Recent coronations have been put off for over a year to allow an appropriate mourning period and time to plan a joyous event. 
summer months are often chosen, so good weather will welcome larger crowds. Because of the queen's advanced age, Charles's coronation has been in planning for decades. Representatives of the government, church, and Clarence House have been meeting annually to advance plans for Operation Golden Orb. Now, they merely need to finalize and put those plans into action. Who plays a role in the coronation? The Archbishop of Canterbury, the senior cleric in the Church of England, has conducted most coronations since 1066. He is assisted by the Dean of Westminster. The great officers of state carry out several roles. These nine offices date back to 1066, though many have been left vacant for centuries. Some of the remaining posts are appointed and some are hereditary. The Earl Marshal is in charge of organizing most royal events, including coronations. This office has been held by the Dukes of Norfolk since 1672. When the king and queen enter, they are each surrounded by members of their household. Traditionally, the queen's senior lady-in-waiting walked behind her, and her robes were carried by maids of honor. But Camilla has done away with ladies-in-waiting. It has been announced that Charles and Camilla will each have four pages of honor, who will be Prince George and other extended family members. Because there will be fewer attendants and they are rather young, it seems likely that the robes will not be as long and heavy as in coronations past, and perhaps not lined with ermine fur. Monarch and consort are each flanked by two bishops, who assist them as needed. For the monarch, it has been the bishops of Durham and of Bath and Wells for hundreds of years. Traditionally, nobles were given the honor to carry pieces of regalia in the procession. There will also be plenty of heralds, standard bearers, musicians, and choir singers. The Guest List Members of the immediate royal family, up through the descendants of George V, will be invited. It has been confirmed that Prince Harry will attend, but Meghan, Archie, and Lilibet will remain home in California. In 1953, scaffolding was erected to squeeze 8,000 people into the abbey. This time around, scaffolding has been deemed unsafe, so the guest list will be slashed to just 2,000. Who gets a coveted role in the procession and seats in the audience is a bit of a battleground between ancient aristocratic families and the modern monarchy's desire to represent a diverse Britain and Commonwealth. In feudal England, only the nobility mattered, and only they got an invite. Even in 1953, diversity wasn't an expectation, and the ceremony went on much as it had for a thousand years. With all the peers of the realm crammed into the abbey and only a handful of Commonwealth representatives sprinkled in. Today, the peers of the realm no longer dominate the House of Lords and the government. Still, many lords claim historic right to participate as their ancestors have done for generations. Since the coronation feast of William the Conqueror, a member of the Marmion family rode into Westminster Hall in full armor and swore to defend the king. In 1831, William IV ended the tradition of the king's champion, but the scion of the Marmion family continued to attend. Francis Marmion Dymoke recently complained to the Telegraph that he has yet to receive his invitation. A coronation claims office has been set up to decide which peers must take part and which can be left off the list. 
Since the king himself is claiming a special role based on heredity, it would be hypocritical for him to ignore them all. It has been reported that only 20 peers have been invited to make room for the prime minister and cabinet members, all governor generals and prime ministers of the Commonwealth realms and overseas territories, representatives from other nations and from the king and queen's charitable causes. There was a tradition that no monarchs of foreign nations attend the coronation. However, Charles has invited a number of crowned heads from across the world. The King's Procession The royal couple will ride from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey in the Diamond Jubilee State Coach, made for Queen Elizabeth in 2014. It incorporates wood from palaces, cathedrals, and ships from across British history. This will be the first coronation since 1831 that the Golden State Coach was not used for the journey to the Abbey. But as that coach has no shocks and is incredibly uncomfortable, the king has opted to enjoy a smoother trip to the Abbey with hydraulics, power windows, heat, and air. What will they wear? The traditional costume for a king up through George VI was a crimson velvet surcoat over silk stockings and breeches. Below his left knee was the Order of the Garter, England's oldest chivalric order founded in 1348 by King Edward III. The media has reported that Charles will instead opt for the uniform of an admiral. William IV was criticized for donning a costume of war to a solemn Christian ceremony, and no monarch since has repeated this misstep. Additionally, a uniform would be impractical, as it would have to be awkwardly unbuttoned and opened in the middle of the service, so the archbishop can anoint the king's bare chest. Whatever Charles wears underneath, as he enters the abbey, he will wear the crimson velvet, gold-embroidered robe of state, the same worn to the opening of Parliament each year. As fabrics don't stand up as well over time, new robes are made for each sovereign. They are traditionally lined with the fur of thousands of ermine. Many have called for cruelty-free faux fur to be used instead. Over the robes is worn a fur cape and the collar of the Order of the Garter. On his head will be the crimson cap of maintenance. This is the velvet and fur which can be seen underneath the gold of a crown. But he cannot wear a crown at this point because he is not yet anointed and crowned. Henry VII received a cap of maintenance from the Pope as a symbol of royal authority. So the king wears the cap as a sign that he is in fact already monarch. Elizabeth II wore George IV's diamond diadem when she entered the abbey. This is not actually a crown, but a masculine tiara. After George IV, subsequent kings decided that it was too feminine and it has only been worn by queens. Since the Middle Ages, English queens, both regnant and consort, wore white cloth of gold to their coronations. White silk with thin threads of gold woven into it to give it a marvelous shimmer. But as fashion moved on, Queen Adelaide changed it up in 1831 with a white gown with gold embroidered flowers. This has remained the style ever since. Elizabeth II's Norman Hartnell confection featured the floral emblems of each nation over which she was head of state. Queens also wear Victoria's diamond coronation necklace and earrings. 
because the king is not wearing a crown upon entry. Recent consorts have entered with their heads bare. The consort also wears a long robe, although hers is purple throughout the ceremony. All female members of the royal family traditionally wear white gowns and tiaras. Men and women with peerage titles have worn crimson fur-lined peerage robes in the past. They carry coronets, small crowns of their rank, which they will put on during the ceremony. Women's coronets are smaller to fit behind their tiaras. The royal children may also wear coronets. Elizabeth and Margaret did in 1937, but Charles did not in 1953. The Coronation Ceremony Queen Victoria's 1838 coronation was poorly rehearsed, bungled, and took five hours. In 1953, Elizabeth's was cut down to three. Charles's is expected to take less than two hours. Once they arrive at the Abbey, clergy, dignitaries, and members of the royal family process in as the choir sings. The pieces of regalia are carried in and placed on the high altar. Then enters the queen consort. Traditionally, the scholars of Westminster cry out, Vivat, Vivat Regina, Latin for long live the queen. The consort is seated to the side as she is not involved until later. The king then enters to shouts of Vivat, Vivat Rex, long live the king. He is seated on the chair of estate. Since 973, the coronation took place within the context of a Catholic mass. After the reformation of the church in the 1530s under Henry VIII, it has been in a Protestant service of Holy Communion. The coronation ceremony is rich with Anglican dogma, but as Britain and the Commonwealth have become increasingly religiously diverse and secular, crowning a monarch as the Protestant God's representative on earth is seen as less appropriate. This is why all nine of Europe's other hereditary monarchies have done away with coronations in favor of secular swearing-in ceremonies. There is speculation that Charles will find ways to incorporate other faiths into his coronation through the presence of other religious leaders performing prayers and readings. This has been done at recent royal ceremonies, including the Queen's funeral. Recognition and Oath Great officers of state go to the east, south, west, and north. At each side, the archbishop calls for the recognition of the sovereign. I here present unto you, Charles, your undoubted king. Wherefore all you who come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? The crowd responds, God save King Charles. This dates back to the Middle Ages, when successions were often conflicted, and symbolizes that the people accept the rule of the monarch. Next, the archbishop administers an oath to the sovereign. Since William and Mary took the throne at the invitation of Parliament in 1689, the monarch has promised to govern Britain according to the Constitution. He also swears to maintain the Church of England. The monarch signs the oath and the declaration of faith. He is then presented with a Bible. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story. Anointing, or pouring holy oil onto the body, is a part of several ancient religions and was how kings of biblical Israel were elevated. As the choir sings, his robe and cape are removed as a sign of piety, and the sovereign moves to the coronation chair, St. Edward's chair was ordered by King Edward I in 1296, after he stole the Stone of Schoon, used to crown kings of Scotland since the pre-Christian Picts. In 1996, the stone was returned to Scotland. However, it will be brought back to London for Charles's coronation. As the anointing is the most sacred part of the ceremony, it is concealed from spectators with a golden canopy held over the monarch's head by four knights or ladies of the garter. The Dean of Westminster pours consecrated oil from an eagle-shaped ampulla into a filigreed spoon with which the Archbishop of Canterbury anoints the sovereign in the form of a cross on his hands, head, and heart. The coronation spoon dates to the 1100s and is the oldest part of the regalia. It was the only part of the medieval crown jewels to survive the Civil War. The archbishop concludes with a prayer dating to Anglo-Saxon times, and the canopy is removed. Investing of regalia Now that the sovereign is anointed, he is dressed in vestments similar to a bishop, symbolizing that he is now God's representative on earth. First is the white linen colobium sedonis, then the cloth of gold supertunica. This may be the one from the 1911 coronation of George V, or if that one is deemed too delicate, a newly made one. The monarch is invested with the regalia, most of which dates to 1660, when Charles II restored the monarchy after the Civil War. The spurs, representing chivalry, are brushed against his heels. The archbishop presents the sword of state. Elizabeth placed it on the altar, but George VI, as a king, strapped it to his waist. The sword of spiritual justice, the sword of temporal justice, and the blunt sword of mercy are carried in the procession, but not invested. The sovereign is given the arm mills, gold bracelets representing serenity and wisdom. Then a long stole is placed around his neck. Then the royal mantle, which may date to George IV in 1820. 
Next, the orb representing the rule of Jesus over the world. A ring representing the monarch's marriage to the nation. Finally, he is handed the two scepters, ancient symbols of power dating to the Egyptian pharaohs. The sovereign's scepter with cross represents temporal power as head of state. It contains the Cullinan One Diamond, the largest in the crown jewels, which was taken from South Africa in 1905, and the sovereign's scepter with dove, which represents the monarch's spiritual role. The sovereign holds both scepters during the crowning. The Archbishop blesses St. Edward's crown. This royal relic is only used for coronations. It was first stolen from the tomb of St. Edward the Confessor, who died in 1066. The original crown was destroyed during the Civil War, and a replica was ordered by Charles II in 1660. The moment the crown is placed on the king's head, the assemblage cries in unison, God save the king, three times. Peers put on their own coronets, trumpets sound in fanfare, church bells ring out across the kingdom, and guns are fired from the Tower of London and Hyde Park. The archbishop stands before the monarch and says the crowning formula, which is a translation from an ancient Latin prayer. The sovereign continues to wear the crown, which weighs 4.9 pounds and is quite uncomfortable, for the enthronement and homage. Nobles lift him on to the throne. Then the archbishop and bishops each approach to swear fealty with the words, I will be faithful and true, and faith and truth will bear unto you, our sovereign Lord, king of this realm and defender of the faith, and unto your heirs and successors according to the law. So help me God. Then members of the royal family, in order of rank, each remove their coronets to pay homage, saying, I do become your liege man of life and limb and of earthly worship, and faith and truth will bear unto you, to live and die against all manner of folks, so help me God. After swearing their oath, they kiss the monarch's cheek and touch the crown in token of their readiness to help him bear its burden. Then the senior members of each of the five ranks of nobility, dukes, marquises, earls, viscounts, and barons, each come forth to likewise bend the knee. As this could take a very long time, it has been reported that only the Archbishop of Canterbury and William, Prince of Wales, will pay homage to represent everyone. William has three historic Prince of Wales coronets to choose from. Coronation of the Queen Consort When there is a queen consort, it is at this point that she is anointed, invested, crowned, and enthroned. Consorts traditionally kneel at an altar throughout their part of the ceremony, though this may be changed out of respect for women's equality or out of respect for the 75-year-old consort's knees. The canopy will be brought in again for her anointing. The last five consorts had new custom crowns made to fit their style, but because of the cost of living crisis in the UK, Camilla chose to reuse an antique instead. She selected Queen Mary's Art Deco style crown from 1911. It was originally designed to hold 2,200 diamonds, including the problematic Koh-i-Noor. This 105-carat stone is highly controversial because it was stolen from a 10-year-old Indian monarch and presented to Queen Victoria in 1849. 
Since then, the governments of India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan have all requested its return and warned that the royal family's continued use of the stone is a painful reminder of the colonial past. The palace's announcement about Camilla's crown choice carefully avoided mention of the Koh-i-Noor, but did detail that the crown would be refurbished to include three other giant gems, Cullinan's 3, 4, and 5, which were all cut from the same stone mined in South Africa in 1905. So it seems likely that Camilla's crown will be modified to go without the controversial Koh-i-Noor front and center. The consort's ring is placed on her right hand, and she is given two scepters. Once crowned, she will be seated on a throne to the right and slightly below the king. Closing Procession The monarch and consort kneel at a fall stool to receive communion, and the blessing is given. They then enter St. Edward's Chapel. There, St. Edward's crown is laid on the high altar, and the sovereign does a costume change into a purple surcoat and is enrobed in the imperial robes of estate made of purple velvet. This change from crimson to purple is symbolic of his transformation into an anointed sovereign. Purple dye, originally made at great cost from Murak's sea snails, has been reserved for royalty since the Byzantine Empire. The sovereign then dons the much lighter imperial state crown, under which is a purple cap of maintenance. He holds the scepter with cross and the orb as he, the queen consort, and other royals process out of the abbey, while all present sing the national anthem, God Save the King. They climb into the state coach and ride back to Buckingham Palace. The coronation procession will be an even grander spectacle than the procession to the Abbey. It will feature members of the military, police, charities, marching bands, and more. Elizabeth took a two-hour ride throughout London, but Charles's route is expected to be about 45 minutes. Once at the palace, the royal family will wave from the balcony and witness a flyby from the Royal Air Force. Coronation Weekend There will likely be a private coronation banquet held at Buckingham Palace, as there has been since Queen Victoria. This sumptuous and exclusive feast is not highly publicized, though it is likely Charles will select organic menu items from his many farms and estates, as he did for he and William's weddings. Check out my video on royal wedding menus. On Sunday the 7th, communities across the UK are invited to participate in the Coronation Big Lunch. As was done in 1953, there will be street parties and picnics across the country. That evening, a concert will be performed at Windsor Castle, featuring iconic and contemporary stars. Important sites across the nation will be lit up by projectors. On Monday the 8th, a bank holiday in the UK, the big Help Out will invite people to volunteer. All this celebration is not without controversy. Elizabeth's coronation cost 1.5 million pounds, about 50 million pounds today. Even though Charles will have a slimmed down event, it is estimated to cost double what his mother's did, mostly down to increased need for security.
and unlike royal weddings, which the family pays for, the British government foots the bill for coronations. The UK is facing a cost-of-living crisis, and many are unhappy about paying £100 million for the spectacle. Royalists argue increased tourism, worldwide TV rights, and the PR opportunity for Britain make up for the cost. Still, groups are planning to protest the coronation. I've booked my flight and hotel and will be in London on the ground during the coronation. I plan to do live feeds throughout the weekend to share with you the events and mood of this historic moment. So stay tuned to History Tea Time for more coronation coverage. A special thank you goes to my patrons, Sarah Bastian, Desiree Carda, and Luana Palmer. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.